You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So if you look at uh, your packet at page 7, um, uh, what you'll, uh, of this section, what you'll see is um, <clears throat> uh, the song Hatikva, uh, which uh, literally means the hope. Um, and uh, it became the Israeli national anthem. And there's a few different versions of it. This is the, this is the accepted version of the anthem um, as, as it is uh, in Israel today. Uh, but it was written in 1878 um, originally. And you can see, I think it's a perfect expression of, of, what, of just what we're talking about. Right? So just look at the English for a second. I'm sick of hearing my voice. So someone read me the English. You just read us the English. Chill. As long as Zion, by the way, is a is another biblical word for Jerusalem. Our hope is not yet lost. Our hope is two thousand years to be a free people in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. Um, now, you know the those words have a a, a very um, uh, political overtone today, but I think that on a certain level they're 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 much more spiritual. The idea of being a free people in our land, I think, doesn't necessarily um, evoke um, uh, political control, um, it means peaceful, right? It means uh, um, uh, unoppressed, um, right? So, uh, so the, 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 the folks who, uh, uh, well, the, the, it was a person, but the, I, the, the, the sort of ideology that goes behind a song like this is informed by um, a diaspora experience um, in which Jewish people are by and large not free. Not necessarily that they don't have political sovereignty, uh, but that they, uh, that they are, um, uh, marginalized and oppressed minorities. Uh, which was the Jewish experience for most of Jewish history, particularly in the West, particularly in Europe. In the Muslim world, Jews had a, a, a much more largely positive experience. Um, which surprises some people today, but uh, was was true. Um, uh, but especially in, in Europe, um, uh, uh, it was not a, a positive couple of thousand years for Jews. It's unfortunately looking a little bit like it's uh, not such a great century right now either for, for Jews in Europe, but we'll, we won't necessarily get into that. Um, but but what, what, I, what I see in the song, what, what always, you know, captivates me about the song is you know the, the real sense of yearning in this in, in the song that I think is really reflective of, of what um, the Jewish outlook was on the land of Israel um, and the role of the land of Israel in Jewish life um, for uh, uh, since the destruction of the second temple in, in 70 CE so when they say 2,000 years that's what the, that's what they're referring to even though it was only about 1800 years when the song was written but they rounded up um, because that was how important it was. It felt like it was only eighteen hundred, but it felt like two thousand years. Um, right? and, and and so intrinsic is that outlook and that idea, right? It's it's in so many aspects of Jewish life, right? So um, 
with the exception of, of our synagogue and lots of other synagogues, but theoretically a synagogue is always oriented to uh, the east toward Jerusalem. At least in the west, it's oriented in the east toward Jerusalem. Right? Um, so, right, so these are, this is written by uh, European Jews. Who's a, we're, we're looking forward to the east because that's the direction they would look to Jerusalem. If this was written by Jews in China, they would have looked to the west. Uh, um, right, so our, our sanctuaries are oriented to Jerusalem. Uh, Jewish law says that we're, uh, that we're supposed to leave, you know, corners of our house unpainted in continuing to mourn the destruction of Jerusalem. We smash a glass at all of our weddings in part to mourn the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, um, the list goes on and on of the elements of Jewish life. Um, there, there are people who say that, uh, that, um, that Jews, uh, should never listen to live music, uh, in order to continue to mourn the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, right, so, I mean, the, the, you know, uh, as, as they say in the Mishnah, in Lidavar Sof, if you want to say, like, you have to keep mourning the destruction of Jerusalem, you could take that to, uh, to, to very far-fetched degrees. But, uh, but, but it's embedded, it's deep in the Jewish consciousness. Um, all right, I'm going to pause there for a second. Questions, comments? <clears throat> so fast forward uh, to, um, to the 18th century in Europe. Um, and uh, it's a time of a lot of um, uh, optimism and hope um, in the Jewish community in Europe um, because it, this is the era of the Enlightenment um, when, uh, when uh, 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 kings and aristocrats are being you know, uh, uh, deposed and overthrown and um, there's a sort of revolution uh, among, among Europeans that um, all human beings are created equal, you know, endowed by the creator with unalienable rights, right? Um, and, uh, and in places like England and, and France and Germany, uh, 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 and places such as that, uh, there's, a, there's a sense that, um, okay, you know, if, we're ex- if, we're, if we believe this philosophy and we're shaping a new society based on this philosophy, um, we have to extend that philosophy to all human beings, not just uh, not just Frenchmen, right? Not just Germans. Um, and uh, you know, this, this is the uh, uh, um, you know, we we had this debate too in, in America, but not about Jews. I mean, although you know, there there was on some level debates about Jews and Catholics and other uh, uh, minorities in different places in America. We had this similar debate about. Um, African slaves, which for us resulted in a war, um, about whether or not, you know, when we say uh, um, uh, uh, that all men are created equal, you know, does it really extend to all men? Um, but in Europe, they had this debate too, and, and um, uh, eventually, um, uh, uh, in in all of these um, European countries, or many of these European countries, um, uh, came out on the side of granting political rights and political sovereignty and and uh, and legal equality. Uh, to Jews who had never enjoyed uh, uh, that kind of equality before in European society. Um, and so there was um, a, a tremendous amount of optimism and a lot of 
uh, uh, novelty and growth among Jewish life uh, in in Europe at the time. Um, this was the era that saw the uh, Haskalah, which was the Jewish Enlightenment, which itself led to the development of Reform Judaism. And Reform Judaism uh, led to the development of Orthodox Judaism, which led to the development of Conservative Judaism. There's a, a real flourishing of different Jewish ideas um, at the time, different approaches to this sort of newfound freedom um, in this newfound society. Um, eventually, though, the, the sort of political pl- pendulum in Europe uh, swings from, uh, you know, uh, this, uh, um, you know, liberal language of rights toward the right to uh, a, a more conservative language of nationalism. Um, and conservative language of nationalism was not good for the Jews. Um, and it, and uh, in places like France and in Germany, um, it brings up um, all of these old um, uh, uh, hatreds and prejudices um, against the Jews. Um, so in, um, in, in 1862, um, uh, Moses Hess, a German Jew, writes a book called Rome and Jerusalem, um, uh, in which very much influenced by the, uh, the, the nationalism of, of Germany at the time, um, uh, begins to articulate a viewpoint that the nation of Israel, the nation of the Jewish people, um, ought to uh, um, uh, uh, be restored or be returned to its, to its own land, right? A, 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 essentially a book of Jewish nationalism. Um, this is known as, uh, regarded as the first Zionist book. Right. So the term Zionism, I mentioned before, Zion refers to Jerusalem. Zionism is an interesting uh, term, uh, but let's just, uh, for, for our sake and for the sake of time, identify it as um, uh, an ideology of Jewish nationalism, right? That, 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 that says that Jews are a national entity um, that ought to have political sovereignty in their own land. Right. Now, there are different kinds of nationalism, uh, of Zionisms that, uh, that didn't uh, require political sovereignty. There were cultural Zionisms and, 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 uh, and things like that. But, but for the most part, um, the different approaches to Zionism all centered around the question of, um, uh, of, of, uh, of, of, of creating a Jewish national entity. It was fairly... Um, uh, obvious to uh, to um, to all the sort of early adopters, early proponents of, of Zionism, uh, that if there was going to be a Jewish national entity, um, it would be in the historical homeland of the Jewish people. That's why um, Hess writes Rome and Jerusalem, and he talks about there being you know two civilizations or two uh, two two nations. Right? There's 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 the Jewish nation, and there's like all the other nations of the world, right? Um, uh, but that uh, the Jewish nation should be in the um, historic homeland of the Jewish people. And so, um, inspired by this book, there begins to be uh, uh, groups of people moving from Europe to found settlements um, in the land of Israel. Um, not necessarily in the hopes of, re- of, of establishing a Jewish political commonwealth, uh, but in, in the hopes of creating uh, viable Jewish societies in the Jewish homeland. Um, there were there there were movements to like I mentioned there were cultural Zionists and linguistic Zionists so to, to restore uh, a sense of of uh, in, ingrained 
national Jewish culture, Jewish language. So this is an era in which uh, um, uh, Hebrew begins to be rebuilt. Hebrew was effectively a dead language uh, for uh, uh, many centuries, except for in the language of the prayer book and the Torah. But no Jews spoke Hebrew. Uh, the, um, uh, most Jews... Um, if they spoke anywhere close to Hebrew, they spoke Yiddish, um, uh, which is a mix of Hebrew and German. They, if they were from Spain, they might have spoken Ladino. If they were in, in the Muslim world, they probably spoke Arabic. Um, Hebrew was effectively a dead language resigned um, to, uh, to, to the text of the Torah. But in response to this growing sense of, of Jewish nationalism, which itself kind of paralleled European nationalism, um, you know, Germans were celebrating German, and the French were celebrating French, and so why shouldn't the Jews celebrate Hebrew? Um, and so uh, um, Eliezer ben Yehuda, who is regarded as the father of, uh, of, of modern Hebrew, uh, moves to the land of Israel uh, and, uh, and begins to basically invent the modern language of Hebrew. It's a, it's a, his, his is an incredible story. Um, in, uh, in, in 1882... Um, the first Aliyah uh, begins in earnest, um, and, uh, and this is, these are largely people who are coming from Eastern Europe. Now, I mentioned that this, the, the pendulum was swung back in Europe uh, to one of a more conservative nationalism, which wasn't particularly good for the Jews. So the Jews were kind of inspired by it to, uh, to form their own nationalism, but it wasn't good for the Jews because the people who were expressing German pride and French pride were often doing it at the expense of the Jews, right? You are not French, you are not German, you don't belong here, and often acting on those sentiments and acting on those impulses. So the Jews who had thought, ah, we sort of like, you know, emerged from the dark ages where we were an oppressed minority of foreigners living in a foreign land to being able to be fully integrated um, as Jewish members of French society, all of a sudden they're reminded, not exactly. You're still other, you're still different, and there's still the old prejudices and hatreds. You were never really safe. Uh, so, uh, and, and as true as that was in, in, uh, in Western Europe, it was all the more true in Eastern Europe, in places like Russia and Poland and, and, and places like that, right, um, where life was particularly brutal for Jews, and there were regularly um, state-sponsored attacks against Jewish communities um, uh, that are known usually as pogroms, uh, that happen with alarming frequency. So the, the, the first, so the, the idea of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of Jewish resettlement of the land of Israel and the possibility of Jewish political sovereignty um, was very appealing to Jews in Western and Eastern Europe who uh, were becoming um, uh, um, increasingly threatened by the, um, by the sort of uh, uh, virulent uh, nationalism um, and anti-Semitism that was emerging at the time. And so in 1882, the first Aliyah begins, and this is largely um, a group of, uh, of, of Eastern European Jews, right? Not surprising. Um, and then something really powerful happens. So um, in, in 1894, um, a French officer... Uh, named a French army officer named Alfred Dreyfus was um, uh, arrested on suspicion of spying for the Germans. 
Um, and he was tried, uh, although in the course of time it was uh, found that his trial was a complete farce um, and that he was uh, um, uh, uh, framed for uh, the, the whole crime, likely uh, because of his being Jewish, um, but also possibly because he was not um, uh, uh, because he was not um, because of his political um, affiliation. Um, but what was striking about the scene, even if he were actually um, a, 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 a spy for the Germans, what was striking about it was not that the protests outside the courthouse were, you know, death to the traitor, death to the spy, right? Those, that would be understandable because people don't like, you know, people committing treason. But the placards that people were hoisting and chanting outside the courthouse in, 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 in the hundreds and thousands were death to the Jews. And, um, and at the same time, there was um, an Austrian, sort of auspiciously, there was an Austrian, uh, um, Dreyfus was, was hanged, um, there was a, um, an Austrian-born um, reporter in France covering the trial uh, named Theodore Herzl. And Herzl saw this happening and was convinced that um, that the only possible uh, um, safe haven, refuge for a persecuted people who could raise to the highest echelons of French society and still be um, uh, um, uh, singled out because of their Jewishness and uh, and generate um, uh, fervent anti-Jewish sentiment in response because of their Jewishness, he became convinced that the, that the only possible response to that was the creation of an, of an independent, sovereign Jewish state. Ideally in the Jewish homeland, but he wasn't picky. So he wrote a book in 1896 called uh, Der Judenstaat, The Jewish State, uh, and um, it becomes an uh, um, uh, incredibly galvanizing and popular book um, in the Jewish world. Some, in some segments of the Jewish world, kind of like a lightning rod, there were lots of people, especially in America, um, and especially among um, uh, uh, um, uh, Orthodox Jewish communities that, uh, that believed that we weren't able to form a Jewish political commonwealth until the time of the Messiah, whenever it was God sent us the Google alert. And um, uh, uh, reform Jews um, and and um, other sort of let's call them unaffiliated Jews um, who uh, who just kind of wanted to um, assimilate into the broader culture and didn't see themselves as being um, an independent national entity of of Am Yisrael saw their Judaism as much more of like a religious identity that they could have in addition to their you know uh, Americanness or their Frenchness or Germanness they didn't like the idea of uh, Zionism of 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 um, uh, Jewish nationalism. Um, but still, it became, an, uh, among various segments of the Jewish community, um, worldwide, an incredibly galvanizing and popular concept. Um, and so it leads to the development of uh, Zionist congresses that gather to discuss uh, the possibilities uh, inherent in Zionism, to raise money, to uh, buy parts of land uh, in the land of Israel, to encourage uh, the emigration of Jews wherever they are, to the land of Israel, 
Um, uh, and there are year after year, uh, or every couple of years, um, Zionist congresses that gather to discuss um, the, the, the development and future of, uh, of, of Zionism. Um, you okay? Uh, all right, let me just pause there while I'm breathing anyway for questions or comments. It is the hope of these early Zionists to, um, to, to found a Jewish state in the land of Israel. Um, eventually, it becomes clear to them that that's going to be, for a number of reasons, very challenging, so they entertain the possibility of creating a Jewish state elsewhere, um, and the, the, the target that they identify is Uganda. Um, uh, but uh, they uh, uh, ultimately decide in, in Congress... Uh, not to um, uh, not to build a Jewish state in Uganda and and focus on the land of Israel. The problem, but the big problem with the land of Israel, well, there are two big problems. <clears throat> One is that um, well, the land of Israel is um, uh, is controlled by another pretty powerful uh, political entity, which is the Ottoman Empire. That's one problem. The other problem is that there are um, uh, lots of people living there and uh, that can trace their lineage back to uh, that land or their cities, maybe even their houses, for generations. Right? So how do, how do the Jews build a sovereign uh, Jewish uh, commonwealth in a place that's A, controlled by another political entity, and, uh, and B, uh, um, that is populated by an entirely different uh, group of people. Um, so it's a, 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 a problematic thing. Um, and uh, the, um, the, the Ottomans um, are not so opposed to the idea of Jews uh, emigrating and settling in the land of Israel. They're perfectly willing to sell land uh, to, to the Jews, and so Jews build settlements and cities. Uh, in, uh, in in Ottoman Palestine, uh, but the, uh, the the native population there um, is not so thrilled with the idea of uh, you know their new neighbors moving in across the street, um, and uh, uh, and there begins to be uh, hostilities between um, these two populations, or it's not really just two populations, but wherever they happen to be, between the Jewish settlers uh, moving into the land of Israel uh, and, uh, and their, let's call them Arab neighbors. Um, uh, eventually, uh, uh, by 1920, um, uh, there's an organized um, uh, uh, Jewish defense force uh, that's uh, developed in part uh, to um, to help defend against um, uh, uh, raids and attacks um, by uh, neighboring popu populations. But I think it's I mean I don't want to get too political about this, but I think it's it's just it's because this touches on contemporary history, um, and you know because there's because many of us are Jewish in this room, it's you know sort of easy to read ourselves into the story. Um, on our side of the story, but imagine you're on the other side of the story, right? Um, where where all of a sudden you know people are moving into the land and saying you know this land is now my land, right? It can be also your land next door, but this is my land. Um, uh, you might not be so thrilled about that prospect. You might even de um, uh, design your own uh, forceful resistance to that prospect. 
Right? So, um, so I just want to be fair about the history that we're, that we're telling here a little bit. Um, so this is sort of the reality until uh, World War I breaks out. Uh, the uh, Ottoman Empire uh, unfortunately chooses the wrong side of World War I. Um, and uh, in, uh, 1970, in 1917, um, one of the worst things that's ever happened in human history happened, which is the British and the French get together um, and decide, decide to carve up the Middle East. Um, without really knowing anything about the Middle East, uh, which is how you get the modern map of the Middle East today. It's a, um, an agreement known as the Sykes-Picot Agreement. Picot is the French guy and Sykes is the British guy. Uh, and they carve up the Middle East and say, okay, that looks good for Iraq and that looks good for Syria and we'll make this little guy here Jordan, right? And then we'll call this one Palestine. And, uh, and they divide up, you know, which, who, you know, are French going to get this one and the British are going to get this one. Um, and so the British take control over Palestine uh, and, uh, and, and have what's called a mandate in Palestine, which basically means it, uh, um, it becomes uh, um, uh, uh, under occupation of the British army, not formally part of the British Empire, but still under British control. Um, and the British quickly realize that they have a big problem on their hands when they, uh, um, when they have a mandate over Palestine, which is that they have now you know, two uh, relatively sizable uh, quarreling populations that they have now taken control over the the um, the the Jews um, who have been making Alian waves uh, from uh, the 18. Uh, 80s until 1917, so this is you know over 30 years, and there's a, a fairly sizable Jewish population at the time, and the and the um, Arab population. Um, so you know they they find themselves in a pickle um, that the Romans before them found them in, found themselves in. You know how do you uh, deal with a, uh, um, a a restless native population? Uh, and part of the strategy was to exert pretty. Uh, um, uh, pretty rigid military control, um, which nobody really ever likes, um, and that creates a lot of problems for the British. And so the British uh, uh, decide um, in, uh, uh, in in 1918 um, that uh, uh, a, a guy named Lord Balfour, who is uh, uh, prominent in the in the British government, um, issues a declaration saying that. He's going to give uh, the land of Palestine eventually over to the Jews to create a sovereign Jewish state. Um, now you can imagine that such a, a document would be uh, very um, exciting for the Jews um, and not very exciting for the Arabs. Um, and the Arabs sort of step up their um, uh, their enmity and resistance campaign against uh, Jewish settlements, um, which leads the British to um, uh, basically all but outlaw um, Jewish immigration into the land of Israel. Um, let's see, how do I want to move from here? <clears throat> um, so the Jews don't really like that, right? The Jews don't like the uh, the, the strict military con control that the British uh, have and the the quotas on Jewish immigration and things like that. So um, the Jews, uh, th this you know um, uh, organization of Jewish defense uh, that uh, that uh, existed uh, in large part, uh, um, at least in local areas, to defend against Arab attacks, um, morphs into a. Uh, 
in something of a Jewish resistance movement um, against the British, not only to defend against Arab attacks, but to, uh, to, to fight against the British, to encourage, uh, uh, or at least to defend the Jews against the Brit- from the British, to encourage uh, emigration and to um, enable clandestine immigration into Israel. Um, some Jews think that the uh, uh, um, Haganah, as it was called, Haganah means the defenses, Haganah is not... Um, um, aggressive enough against the British, uh, and so uh, develop a, uh, an organization of their own to take a more aggressive stance against the British um, called the Irgun. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, the Irgun, is, I mean, you know, depends on how, how, um, uh, um, how uh, iconoclastic I want to be here, but the Irgun is what many of us would call today, uh, was what many of us would call today a terrorist organization um, that uh, that planned and executed attacks against uh, um, uh, against uh, mainly British targets um, in an attempt to uh, to weaken you know British control over mandatory Palestine uh, and to allow for uh, uh, you know free Jewish uh, immigration. Um, now maybe not t- maybe terrorism isn't such the right word because they the, um, you know British. Presence in Palestine was largely military, um, and so therefore it wasn't really attacks against civilian populations. But um, there's yeah. a big difference between yeah. the Irgun and terrorist organization. Yeah. A terrorist organization is committed to doing damage to defenseless people, civilian people. Yes. The Irgun, all, all of their attacks against the military. Yeah. Fair enough. So I don't think labeling them terrorists is fair. Fair enough. What's that? Gorillas. Gorillas. That may be. They're terrorists and the type we're dealing with today are radical terrorists. Yeah, right, right. Extremist right. terrorists. Yeah. Kind of how I look at it. You know, you blew things up. It, it, it was designed to accomplish a purpose, but there is terrorism inside the line, terrorism outside the lines. Right. And yeah. definitely going after children and civilians is. Right. It's just. They had a plan, they had a purpose, they had a goal, and they didn't outside of that to do any murders, damages, whatever, until... Right, although, I mean, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds of this point, so, you know, I don't know if I would use the word terrorism for the Irgun either, although it's... I said some might call them a terrorist organization. The idea is to respect the government that so that's that's why I uh, uh, I raised the term and you can draw your own conclusions about it um, uh, uh, although some of the, the points are well taken although what you know what 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 uh, what, what, what Sheila is offering you know I, I I, it's not my perspective on it, but if you were to, uh, you know, call up uh, somebody in, in in ISIL and ask, you know, do you have a, a political objective, uh, they would say yes. Um, uh, you know, the defined political objective, right? To uh, establish a caliphate, uh, you know, in uh, in 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 Syria, Iraq, and the Levant. The Levant being the land of Israel, which is a terrifying prospect. Um, but uh, anyway, all right. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds of that question. Um, uh, but the, I mean, but the but but the the the, the different approaches of the Haganah Yirgun becomes important. Um, 
a few decades later, when there's a uh, war of independence, they are two, in some senses, competing factions within the Jewish population in the land of Israel. Um, and um, uh, uh, there's a, um, a, a major debate and discrepancy in, in tactics about how to engage the uh, war of independence. Um, ultimately, through some incredibly... Um, I can't think of a better term to use in this, but it's kind of a crass term, so I'm trying to think of a better one right now. Um, chutzpahdik. There are incredibly, incredible chutzpahdik moves of, on the part of the, of the Haganah. The Haganah was able to establish um, um, its uh, supremacy with a great risk. Um, uh, and uh, the Haganah eventually uh, morphs into uh, one of the dominant early uh, political parties in Israel, um, the Labor Party. The Irgun also morphs into one of the early political parties in Israel, but for most of the early history of Israel was this sort of opposition party, um, which is now uh, now known as the Likud party. Um, and one of the major revolutions in Israeli politics was when uh, um, uh, was when uh, for the first time the Likud um, uh, was able to uh, defeat uh, um, labor and, and really kind of shift um, the trajectory of Israel. That was Begin, yeah. Um, Okay, <clears throat> so in, uh, uh, in, in 1939, uh, the British government rescinds the Balfour Declaration uh, with, uh, um, with, with something that's known as the White Paper, because it was written on white paper. Um, and uh, um, so rescinding the Balfour Declaration means that uh, the British government at that point no longer uh, uh, supported the establishment of an independent uh, Jewish state in the land of Israel um, and, uh, and totally cut off Jewish emigration to, uh, to Palestine, um, which um, uh, was a, a really bad moment in Jewish history to uh, end Jewish emigration into Palestine, unfortunately. Um, um, so in, in World War II uh, begins in 1939. Uh, we talked two weeks ago about the about the Holocaust. We all know the the, the history there. Um, but uh, um, you know, uh, during the course of the war, and especially after after the liberation of the camps, um, there was a uh, um, uh, uh, worldwide um, shock at the um, extent of the uh, devastation to the Jewish population in Europe. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, the, the idea of um, a, uh, a, a Jewish national refuge becomes not only a sort of like tribal Jewish concern, but a, 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 a fairly widespread worldwide concern, or at least a, an awakening that uh, that the Jews weren't wrong um, in um, in their um, thinking that the only uh, real safeguard for Jews is uh, is a sovereign Jewish state. Um, so they begin to uh, so the Zionist cause begins to uh, enlist some uh, some some uh, powerful allies um, uh, in its cause of establishing a Jewish state. Um, uh, in no small part um, in, in reaction to uh, the, the devastation of the Holocaust. Um, but yet you still have this challenge of, uh, of, of really two uh, populations uh, living in, uh, the, in mandatory Palestine, a Jewish population and an Arab population, uh, or we could say a European 
well, whatever, a Jewish population and an Arab population. So in 1947, the United Nations uh, um, votes to divide the um, divide mandatory Palestine into two states. Um, so we've all heard talk about the two-state solution, a two-state solution. Well, the first, uh, well, I mean, there was actually an attempt at a two-state solution in 1936 with the British, but the, the first international attempt um, at a formal two-state solution was in 1947. Uh, and uh, uh, the idea was there would be one Arab state, one Jewish state, and Jerusalem would be an international city. Um, Israel, uh, um, uh, uh, or the Jewish population uh, favors the partition plan. Uh, the uh, Arab population does not favor the partition plan. So the partition plan is effectively dead because one side doesn't uh, agree agree to it. Um, so in 1948, um, a, a new resolution is uh, introduced into, in May of 1948, a new resolution is introduced into uh, the UN uh, calling for the establishment of, of uh, saying, okay, so you know we can't get the uh, Arab population to agree to divide the land, so we'll introduce a, a, a resolution um, uh, calling for the establishment of, uh, of an independent Jewish state in, um, in, in the, at least the part of the land of Israel that the Jews are, are living in. Um, the UN votes in favor of the resolution, effectively uh, um, legally allowing the creation of the State of Israel uh, that day. Um, the, uh, uh, the leadership of, um, uh, of, of what became later that day the State of Israel um, declared the independence of the State of Israel. Um, and immediately, um, all of the uh, Arab nations surrounding the State of Israel uh, declare war on the new State of Israel. Um, and in one of, I, I think... It, to be honest, the, what, what can only be described as one of the one of the great miracles of modern history, and it certainly lives in that way in the consciousness of of, of Israelis. Um, although in the consciousness of the uh, of the Arabs, it's not a miracle but a catastrophe. Uh, the um, uh, the uh, the Jews are able to um, uh, withstand the, uh, the the onslaught of all the surrounding Arab nations, hold their borders. Um, and, uh, and and create a, uh, a, a viable sovereign state, um, a, a poor and fairly weak sovereign state, but a sovereign state nonetheless, um, that controlled uh, um, a good portion of what is now uh, the land of Israel, uh, or rather the good portion of what is now the state of Israel, uh, um, but not uh, all of Jerusalem. Half of Jerusalem uh, remained in control of, uh, of, of Jordan. So if you look back at your map of, uh, of, of the state of Israel, um, so, um, so you see like some like dotted lines. We'll get to those in a minute. Um, uh, uh, what, what you see now basically as the, um, uh, uh, the light beige portion that was what uh, the Israelis were able to um, retain control over. Um, and the uh, darker portions remained uh, in control of uh, the surrounding uh, Arab populations. Um, so that takes us to the founding of the, uh, of the State of Israel in, in 1948. I want to just, just really quickly... Um, look at uh, the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel. Someone um, willing to read this for us? 
It's in English. Yeah, it's, uh, it's page five and six in the uh, in in this part of the packet. Matt, thanks. Eretz Israel was the birthplace of the Jewish people. Here, their spiritual, religious, and political identity was shaped. Here, they first attained statehood, created cultural values and national and universal significance, and gave to the world the eternal book of books. After being forcibly exiled from their land, the people kept faith with it throughout their dispersion, and never ceased to pray and hope for their return to it, and for the restoration in it of their political freedom. Impelled by this historic and traditional attachment, Jews strove in every successive generation to reestablish themselves in their ancient land. In recent decades, they returned in their masses. Pioneers, Mapilum, and defenders, they made deserts bloom, revived the Hebrew language, built villages and towns, and created a thriving community controlling its own economy and culture, loving peace but knowing how to defend itself, bringing the blessings of progress to all the country's inhabitants and aspiring towards nationhood. In the year 5657, or 1897, at the summons of the spiritual father of the state of, of the Jewish state, Theodore Herzl, the first Zionist Congress convened and proclaimed the right of the Jewish people to national rebirth in its own country. This right was recognized in the Balfour Declaration of the 2nd November 1917 and reaffirmed in the mandate of the Jewish nation, which in particular gave international sanction to the historic connection between Jewish people and Paris Israel and to the right of the Jewish people to rebuild the national I'm going to, I'm going to, sorry, Matt, I'm going to have you skip ahead a little bit. So basically what we're establishing here and the beginning part of this is the, uh, the, the historic and legal right of the Jews to establish a state in the land of Israel. Uh, that's basically what, uh, what Ben-Gurion and the uh, founders of Israel are trying to lay out here, um, including uh, the, the argument of the... Um, essential defense, defenselessness of the Jewish people without political sovereignty. Um, so skip ahead um, to, uh, um, to where, on the next page, this right is the natural right. This right is the natural right of the Jewish people to be masters of their own faith, like all other nations in their own sovereign state. Accordingly, we, members of the People's Council, representatives of the Jewish community of Eretz Israel and of the Zionist movement, are here assembled on the day of the termination of British mandate over Eretz Israel, and by virtue of our natural and historic right, and on the strength of the resolution of the United Nations General Assembly, hereby declare the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Israel to be known as the state of Israel. Right, just look at there's a Jewish state in Eretz Israel, right? Before they called representatives of the Jewish community of Eretz Israel, right? So going back to these three things, right? So um, uh, Eretz Israel is a larger entity potentially, than the Jewish state that could exist in Eretz Yisrael. Um, and uh, the Jewish community is, uh, um, is uh, um, building that state. Um, uh, but uh, uh, but right, the establishment of a Jewish state in Eretz Yisrael doesn't necessarily mean a Jewish state over all Eretz Yisrael. Right? Okay. To be known as the state of Israel. Okay, go ahead, keep going. We declare that with the effect from the moment of the termination of the mandate being tonight, the eve of Sabbath, the 6th IR, 5708, until the establishment of the elected regular authorities of the state, the People's Council shall act as the provisional council of the Jewish state to be called in Israel. The state of Israel will be open for Jewish immigration and for the ingathering of the exiles. 
By the way, that, that translates a few years later to, uh, from, like, a few years later from the Declaration of Independence, so 1950, to the law of return, which says that any Jew anywhere can move to, uh, the state of Israel and be granted, um, uh, uh, citizenship to the state. The ingathering of the exiles, that's a theologically loaded term. Remember we talked about before the idea that eventually God would gather up the exiles and bring them back to the land. What, what Ben-Gurion is saying uh, is that uh, the establishment of the state can facilitate the ingathering of the exiles. So today, in, um, in, in, uh, even in, in Orthodox Judaism, uh, we, when we pray for the state of Israel, we say, Reshit smichat geulatenu. It's the beginning of the flowering of our redemption. Because the theological shift that happens here in Judaism is to say, okay, you know, maybe we were wrong about thinking about how the Messiah would happen. We thought maybe that God would like pluck us up and bring us, but maybe we actually needed to have a hand in it ourselves. Maybe we needed to pack our bags and go, right? Maybe God wasn't going to pick us up and take us. Maybe we had to fight for it, right? So um, there's a um, the the establishment of the state is a really good example of how um, uh, uh, political events can uh, demand radical changes in Jewish thinking and even practice. It will foster the development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. By the way, all its inhabitants is uh, um, intentional, right? It means not just its Jewish inhabitants. Go ahead. Uh, It will be based on freedom, justice, and peace as envisioned by the prophets of Israel. It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants irrespective of religion, race, or sex. I just want to, uh, well, actually, here, read a little bit more, and then I'll, right. It will guarantee freedom of religion, conscious language, education, and culture. It will safeguard the holy places of all religions, and it will be faithful to the principles of the Charter of the United Nations. But so I just, I want to, like, uh, I think another miracle of the founding of the State of Israel is that, you know, that, that all the founders of the, of the state came from places where uh, um, all they had ever known was as about as far as you could ever come from uh, um, uh, uh, tolerant um, and uh, um, uh, uh, democratic societies, right? They came from, like, Russia and, and Galicia and, and all these places. Um, th- that, they, that, they, that in their, like, wildest dreams thought of building a state that had complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex, uh, uh, guarantee freedom of religion, conscious language, education, and culture. I mean, it's just like so amazing, I think. Go ahead. We appeal in the very midst of the onslaught launched against us now for months to the air of the heavens of the state of Israel to preserve peace and participate in the upbuilding of the state on the basis of full and equal citizenship and due representation in all its provisional and permanent we extend our hand to all neighboring states and their peoples in an offer of peace and good neighborliness and appeal to them to establish bonds of cooperation and mutual help with the sovereign Jewish people settled in its own land. The state of Israel is prepared to do its share in a common effort for the advancement of the entire Middle East. We appeal to the Jewish people throughout the diaspora to rally around the Jews of Eretz Israel in the task of immigration and upbuilding and to stand by them in the great struggle for the realization of the age-old dream. Right. So just a couple of things. Again, right, it, it reconceptualizes uh, the realization of the age-old dream, redemption of Israel, as a struggle. Right. And, and it, it's not clear that previous in Jewish history, um, 
the idea of the redemption of Israel was meant to be a physical struggle. So um, it's sort of like an amazing reconceptualization of Jewish history, um, but 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 powerful. And, and the other is so um, it, it mentions here um, about the, uh, um, the the state of uh, hostility that uh, that that um, that they anticipated and that existed between uh, them and uh, their neighbors in the land of Israel and surrounding the land of Israel, um, which uh, is a a topic that is a class in and of itself. Um, I think that, um, uh, you know, Israel after 1948, even though it it, it created an armistice in 1948, um, has essentially still been fighting that war of independence. Um, ever since, um, and uh, and in some ways has succeeded, um, and in some ways its success is still uh, elusive. Um, and some of the uh, current conflicts and challenges that that the state of Israel has um, are, um, are 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 rooted in that early history of the state that we were that we were talking about. Um, uh, and you know. Uh, uh, many people, if not most people, uh, trace the proximate cause of the most intractable part of the conflict between Israel and the, the Palestinians um, to the 1967 war, um, uh, which is which is again, I think, a whole other class in and of itself. Um, but in some level, it's uh, um, uh, really a, an issue that dates back to the 1948 war, um, which uh, which the Jews see as a a miraculous establishment of an independent state, and the um, Arab population see as a Nakba, which means which is the Arabic for a catastrophe, um, and uh, and even dating back before that um, uh, of the um, uh, hostile relationship that existed between um, the Olim, the Jewish settlers, uh, and and the Arab populations. Um, but the uh, but but what, what's what's I think powerful powerful about this, and what I think we should uh, um, end on. Um, is um, the the vision and the hopefulness that I think is at the core of uh, of the establishment of the state, right? The, um, you know, the sort of a, a melting pot of all of the concepts of Jewish history um, uh, put into living reality. Um, the, um, the 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 yearning and hopefulness, um, the, um, the the rootedness to land and tradition, but the possibility for um, uh, for, for novelty and creativity and reinterpretation and transformation, um, the, um, the, uh, the, the experience of, uh, of, of uh, enmity and defense, defenselessness um, uh, uh, paired with the uh, moral challenges of uh, having power of your own um, uh, and the uh, um, uh, the I think the the incredible expression of the core of Jewish values um, to uh, to embed into the the founding of a of a nation state the idea that um, uh, that that redemption is the goal um, that um, that freedom justice and peace as envisaged by the prophets of Israel is the objective right and um, and so I think that you know. It, uh, I think that maybe it's worth um, ending the class singing together Hatikva, um, because um, whether the state of Israel has 
um, uh, achieved those goals or not yet. Um, the, 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 the idea that to be a Jew is to have perpetual hope that, uh, that uh, freedom, justice, and peace as envisaged by, by our prophets thousands of years ago might still be possible in our time is at the core of what it means to be a Jew and at the heart of the Jewish mission to heal the world. Um, so um, with that, um, why don't we end by singing Hatikva if you're comfortable. Um, and uh, if you are not, that's cool too. Um, and, um, and I'm happy to uh, 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 take questions uh, after, uh, after we end here.